Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today we're talking about the Bible, in particular, how do we read it? The short answer is we read the Bible just like any other book. And we're familiar with all sorts of different types of books. Imagine that you have a Harry Potter book and you have a dictionary and you have the complete works of William Shakespeare. They're all books. And when you read the Harry Potter book, I bet you can tell me the name of the main character. <laughs> Harry. It's easy to understand. And when you read the complete works of William Shakespeare and when you read Romeo and Juliet, I bet you can tell me the names of the main characters there. Romeo and Juliet, and I bet you could even tell me what happens to them in the end. I won't give it away. <laughs> but for the most part, when you read a book, you know what that book is about because the author of the book conveys certain information that helps you understand what the book is about. And the Bible is like that too. The Bible is, it's a book just like any other in that there's information that is to be conveyed to somebody else. But that doesn't mean that every book is the same. You know, Harry Potter is a book that you would read from beginning to end, from page one all the way to the end. But you wouldn't do that with a dictionary. A dictionary you would use as a resource book. You're looking up the meaning of a word and you would go to that particular page and find that particular definition. And the complete works of William Shakespeare, similar type of thing, maybe kind of a combination between the two. It's a number of different stories all in one book. And so depending on which story you want to read, that's where you would go. And so the Bible is like that too. There's a message that is to be conveyed. The message, what the message is, is up to the author. And there are different ways of reading through the Bible. So the Bible is just like any other book in those ways. But the Bible is also unlike any other book. And to illustrate how, I'm going to tell you about something I remember hearing when Barack Obama was running for president of the United States. I remember hearing a story about how Barack Obama, when he was running for president of the United States, that he would sometimes go down to the local call centers, places where people would make phone calls to the constituents to say, would you please consider voting for such and such a person? And he would hop on the phones and he would get a number sheet and he would call a random number and he would call the person and he would say, well, hello, this is Barack Obama and I'm running for the United States president and I was wondering if I could count on your vote in this upcoming election. And then very often the person on the other end of the phone would wait until the recording ended, because that's what they thought it was. They thought it was a recording, that there's no way Barack Obama would be calling them. But then when he said, no, this isn't a recording, then very often the person would hang up because they thought it was a prank. <laughs> and Barack Obama would be talking to them, but it was him. They were surprised at that. What's different about the Bible is that in the Bible, somebody more important than even the president of the United States is talking to you. It's God himself talking to you. In 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, the word of God is not a word that any human being made up. It is the word of God. It's God speaking to you. And because it's God speaking to you, you can be certain that everything in it is true. That's what the Bible says, that God isn't a person who, who lies to us, that God speaks the truth. And we know how it feels when somebody doesn't do that, and we know how often that happens in human history. You probably know what it's like to have someone lie to you. Or to have someone say something that, you know, just you discovered it turned out to not be true. Every once in a while, you'll see something like this in newspapers or magazines and editors note in which they retract something that they previously wrote or they apologize for something because they didn't have all the information or because they, um, 
because they were just flat out wrong. Well, God never has to do that. The Bible is God's word and it's something that he wants you to be able to rely on. Beyond that, why should we read the Bible? A couple of different reasons. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul reminds us that Scripture is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible gives us wisdom as to not only how we are saved, but how to live as saved people. And to illustrate that, I want you to imagine that you have a, a 2015 Toyota RAV4 vehicle and something goes wrong on it, but you don't know exactly what it is or how to fix it. If that were the case, you'd look for a manual like this a repair manual that can help you identify what's, what's gone wrong and, and how it is to fix it. Well, the Bible is like that. It's a manual that helps us make us wise for how to get successfully through life all the way to heaven. Um, a manual that helps us be wise in our relationships. How do, we love for one, how do we love one another? How do we care for one another? How do we live life in the best possible way, shining the spotlight on God? If you want God's advice on that, Scripture is the manual. We also read the Bible because... It does something significant. In uh, Romans 10, it says that faith comes from hearing the message of the gospel. And the gospel, of course, is in the Bible. Before we talk further about just what exactly that means, I want you to do something. I want you to think for a moment on how you would define the word faith. I bet some aspect of trust is there. Like maybe you've participated sometimes in a, or in a trust fall where somebody stands and they're looking in the opposite direction from the crowd and they're supposed to close their eyes and just fall straight as a plank back into this group that's supposed to catch them. They're supposed to trust that they're going to catch them. An important aspect of faith. Faith is trusting in something. But that's not a complete definition because you have to trust in the right thing. You know, for example, if, um, if I decide to put all my trust in this piece of gold. Say, I'm going to worship this piece of gold. I'm going to love this piece of gold. I'm going to set up a church to honor this piece of gold. And I'm going to recruit others to also worship this piece of gold. In the end, this, this piece of gold can't actually save me. It can't actually do anything for me. So what I trust in is very important, which is why our definition of faith is going to be very specific. It is trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that's one of our Bible buzzwords, faith is trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Reading the Bible creates faith in him. And it also strengthens our faith in him. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us to grow in the grace of an, and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know how important growth is when it comes to many areas of our lives, including like, like physical strength. Our muscles need to grow. Uh, we want them to become stronger. In fact, our muscles never really stay the same strength. They're either growing or they're shrinking. They're becoming stronger or they're becoming weaker And then, uh, at, at any given time. It happens gradually over time, but it's one of those two things. And if you want them to become stronger, then of course you need to feed the muscles and you need to exercise the muscles so that they become stronger. Um, you know, you know this, if you, like, let's say you can bench press 200 pounds right now, but then you don't exercise for six months. And then after six months, you try to bench press 200 pounds again you're not going to be able to get it because your muscles grew weaker. The same thing happens with our faith. Our faith can grow stronger and it can grow weaker. And it's important to feed our faith then. I want you to look at this diagram, which uh, that line indicates the, uh, the division between those who have faith in Jesus as their Savior and those who don't. So those who are living in faith and those who are living in unbelief. And imagine that there are three different people. There is believer A, 
who's kind of far from the line. There's believer B, who's right next to the line. And then there's uh, the unbeliever down there who's uh, underneath the line. And so there's someone who has strong faith, somebody who has weak faith, and somebody who has no faith. If you look at believer A and believer B, at this point, right now, are both of them safe? Are both of them saved? Yeah, they both are. But one of them is in a little bit more danger. You can illustrate that by this iconic picture from an old movie. That person hanging on the clock there. At that moment, is that person safe? <laughs> yeah, they are. But boy, they're in danger. If a bird comes by and distracts them, if they, their palms get sweaty and they lose their grip, then suddenly it's a different story. They're not safe anymore. The same thing can happen to us in life with our faith. The storms of life pop up and the, the, they start pushing up against us. They challenge us. Or we lose our grip on God. We're not as strong as we thought we were and we can slip and fall. We don't want our faith to be weak. We want it to be as strong as possible. And I'm going to give you some tips on how to read the Bible in a way that will help that happen. Seven different tips. You ready? Tip number one, ask for God's help. God wants to help you do this. In Psalm 119, it says, it's a prayer that says, Open my eyes, God, that I may see wonderful things in your law. God wants to help you learn his law, and so he will answer that prayer. Tip number two, use one easy-to-understand translation when you're reading the Bible. You might know that there are many, many different English translations. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, in the King James Version, which is... Um, the most used version in the history of the world, probably, when you consider all of history, it says, it says, Entreat me not to leave thee, for whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. You can kind of understand what's going on, but not as clearly as if you read like the New International Version, same verse. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Just a little bit closer to the way that we talk nowadays. Use one English translation that's easy to understand. Tip number three, set a regular time for your reading. We see this in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 6, it says, When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. In other words, Daniel was in the habit of doing that three times a day. When things were going smoothly, he was in the habit of doing that, so that when things were getting kind of rough, as was the case in Daniel chapter 6, he would stay in the habit of going to God's word first. Tip number four, pay attention to the context of scripture verses. Um, I want you to imagine that there are two different people. There's the emperor from the Star Wars movies, and there's Serena Williams, a professional tennis player. And I want you to imagine that they both say the same thing. They both say, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> now, what does the emperor mean when he says, I'm going to destroy you? <laughs> he means, I'm going to end your life. I'm going to obliterate you, literally. But what does Serena Williams mean? If you're playing tennis against her and she says to you, I'm going to destroy you, what she means is something entirely different. She means, I am going to defeat you in a tennis match today. <laughs> they say the same thing, but it means something totally different. And that's because of the context. You have to pay attention to who's speaking and who they're speaking to. And we can do this with the Bible too. So Luke 131 says, it gives a promise. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Now, does that mean that you are going to conceive and give birth to a son and that you're supposed to name him Jesus? That's what it says. <laughs> but now when you consider the context, an angel was speaking that directly to Mary. That was a promise for Mary, not for us. The context.
Tip number five, let the Bible interpret the Bible. We need the whole Bible to do that. You know, for example, in James 2 verse 20, it says, it says, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You know, faith without deeds is, is no faith at all, basically. That passage seems to give the indication that heaven, your spot in heaven depends on your good deeds. If that were the only passage in the Bible, you might believe that. But then you go to Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 where it says, no, 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 for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by your works, so that no one can boast. You put those two passages together and they give you a more complete meaning, that we are saved by grace entirely because God just gifted us with heaven through Jesus. But there should be some consistency between what we believe and what we do. And that's what, that's what we see there. Let scripture interpret scripture. Tip number six, take a passage from the Bible literally unless it is clearly figurative. And I think you know the difference between the words literal and figurative. When somebody says, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, do they literally mean that they are hungry enough to eat an entire horse, that they are going to go sit down and they are going to devour an entire horse? No, that's figurative speech. They're not being literal. Literal means I'm going to do exactly what I say. Figurative means I'm it could be an exaggeration or I'm making a comparison. And the Bible does this. And I think you have a pretty good ability to identify if a passage is literal or figurative because the Bible actually helps us do that. For example, in Matthew 13, it says, Jesus told them a parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Is that literal or is that figurative? Well, that's figurative. It was a story, Jesus said. It was a parable. He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is a man sowing seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in his field. How about this one? Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Literal or figurative? Figurative. It's not like every time you pick up your Bible, it's an actual flashlight that you're able to use to get through the dark. It's, uh, they're making a comparison. How about this one? Exodus 20, verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Is there anything in the text that's making a comparison or an exaggeration? No. So we take that one literally. The Bible says it, so we believe it. Take a passage literally, unless there's some clue in the text that it's figurative. This leads to some important Bible buzzwords that we have. Uh, there's the word context. We talked about that, the, the thoughts, the words, and the circumstances surrounding the passage that you are studying, who's talking to whom, who are the recipients of the message. The word literal it means exactly what it says, and the word figurative, it means something beyond what it says. It has a symbolic meaning or it's an exaggeration of some points just, just to make a point. Some important buzzwords that you'll hear so often as you go through the Bible. And finally, the last tip, tip number seven. Meditate on what you read. Psalm 1 says it this way. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So meditating, it's talking about the benefits of meditating. The benefits of meditating on the word of God, which is just giving yourself time to think about it giving the bits of knowledge that God has passed along to you time to settle into your brain and settle down into your heart and giving God time to let those percolate. That it's, it has the same benefit of a tree. Just sitting still and 
doing nothing except soaking in water through its roots. At that time spent doing seemingly nothing will produce great results. The way that the psalm said it is, whoever does this, or whatever they do, whatever they do prospers. Which means that if you would like to be prosperous in your relationship with God, prosperous in your relationships with others, prosperous in the work that you do in this world, prosperous in being able to deal with temptation, with challenges, with struggles, with death. There's a way. Meditate on the word of God. Strengthen your faith. You know, and sticking with the illustration of the tree, we know what a healthy tree looks like and we know what an unhealthy tree looks like. There's a difference. Just as there's a difference between somebody who stands firm in the word, who's been gradually over the course of time feeding themselves with that word, and somebody who isn't. God wants you to be prosperous. And he's given you a way to do that. Strengthen your faith. Hold on to him. Soak in as much as you can. Ask questions. Dig deep. Search for answers. And don't forget the one main message that God wants to communicate to you through his word. He loves you. He loves you perfectly. In Christ Jesus, he has brought you into his family already. He is your father in heaven who's smiling with perfect delight at you right now. And he wants you to prosper.